Season 2, Episode 2. Before we get started, I want to reiterate that the views and opinions expressed in this podcast do not represent any of my employers. It is solely me doing a sports variety show, having some fun, making some jokes, telling some anecdotes. Thank you. We have my coworker, Bally Sports senior producer Sandeep Chandok, talking some NFL, fantasy, NBA, and we also have Frontier League infielder Wyatt Stapp of the Schaumburg Boomers. I covered Wyatt when he was an infielder at the University of Tennessee, and he went on to have a successful career at the University of Cincinnati. That's all coming up on episode 25 of Raw Tools. This is one of those weeks where I don't have to say anything. I wanted to talk in depth about the Monday night football game between the Broncos and the Seahawks. But even then, there's nothing I can say that hasn't already been said or beaten to death a million times about the clock management by new head coach Nathaniel Hackett. Yikes, Denver. Yikes. Happy for Pete Carroll. I've been wanting to buy his book for six years since someone recommended it to me. Haven't done it yet. More than six years. Probably eight years, I think it was... Never mind. I can talk about Hackett getting a case of the Lane Kiffins and trying to kick a 64-yard field goal with the game on the line. Awfully reminiscent of when Lane Kiffin coached the Oakland Raiders back in the 2000s and had Janikowski kick it from like 70 out. I thought that was weird. However, the main story for me was how well Geno Smith did during those first few scripted plays for the Seahawks against a really tough opponent in Denver, and was so good on the front end that even when things didn't go Seattle's way in the second half, they still put together a winning performance. In the words of actress Cheryl Lee Ralph, who won Best Supporting Actress at the Emmys that same night, thank God I didn't give up on me. It's been a long road for Gino, played behind some great Pro Bowl quarterbacks, and he got to prove himself against the quarterback he had just backed up, Russell Wilson, and changed the perspective for Seattle this season. They just beat a really tough team out of division. And granted, the NFC West may eat itself alive, but Geno Smith can win you games. Perhaps he is a bridge quarterback, not unlike Mitch Trubisky, where you can win eight, nine, maybe ten games with a good roster. Seattle has a lot of holes they need to fill. A lot of people were questioning whether or not Gino was the guy with Drew Locke going to win the job in camp, and I could have told you no, that wasn't going to happen, but I played it safe because Mizzou alum, even if Drew Locke isn't my favorite person, I still like him. Perhaps Gino is a bridge, and perhaps instead of vying for the number one overall pick this coming draft, perhaps Seattle is a seven-win-ish team. Perhaps that's not the best future goal for the Seahawks if they want to rebuild and get a top pick, perhaps get a franchise quarterback like a Bryce Young, for example. Who knows? But really, that's all I got to say. I have some really good conversations to share with Sandeep and Wyatt. We'll get to Sandeep first. My guest today is a senior producer at Bally Sports. That's right. He works with me. 
but neither of us are going to get fired today. Prior to that, being a senior producer, his promotion at Valley Sports, Sandeep Chandok was a producer at Yahoo Sports and NBC Sports Edge, and he also did some writing at Cron Channel 4 in San Francisco. Sandeep, how are you? I'm doing great, Luke. Thanks for the for the very warm welcome. You overhyped me, man, for sure. There is nothing to overhype. If there is someone I could name off the top of my head who's prolific, dynamic, uh, a great guy to work with in the short span of time that we worked with, I'd have to throw your name out there in the mix. So this is uh, this is nice for me. I'm glad that we're uh, we're still talking after the NFL Combine. I appreciate you having me on, man. I'm excited to do this. Congrats, by the way, on the promotion just a few months ago, going from digital content editor to now senior producer. Thank you, man. Yeah, it was definitely uh, unexpected, but came at a good time. So I'm happy to still be with Valley Sports. I mean, as you know, we've been doing some cool things over here. So hoping to continue to grow our brand. What are you currently working on that you're passionate about? Well, since football season just started, um, I'll be doing a weekly waiver wire column. Uh, my first one just came out today. You can check that out on the Valley Sports website. Um, so that's something I'll be doing all season long. Um, on Sundays, I produce a live stream StreamYard show uh, that comes up on Twitter and Facebook on the Valley Sports account. And the two, uh, two stars of our show are Serena Morales, who used to cover the Rams in L.A., and Jim Everett, who used to play for the Rams. Uh, former quarterback so when you guys are on Sundays on on Twitter and just soaking in all your NFL content check out our show at uh, 8 p.m eastern time on Valley Sports on Twitter and Facebook it's called Cover 2.0. Cover 2.0 that sounds really cool I just started using StreamYard I'm covering Northwestern games on Saturdays this fall and we are just starting to test out that software do a dynamic show immediately before the game, right after the game. So that's really cool that you're producing that online show. What is the heart or the the theme of that show that you're trying to put out there? So our show is, uh, you know, covering basically all things NFL Sunday. Um, you know, it comes on right before the Sunday night game. So we're recapping all the big moments from the, from the morning and afternoon games that are going on. Um, and then one of the new things we have this season, um, since Jim, Jim Everett is on, uh, he has his own little segment called quarterback controvert or quarterback confidential. And he's picking his, his best and worst quarterback performance of the week. And so uh, this week he highlighted Josh Allen as his top performer. Obviously he had a big game against the defending Super Bowl champs. Um, and then his two, his two down performers were unfortunately my team starting quarterback Trey Lance and then also Aaron Rodgers. So Rough first week for me, but, uh, you know, the show nonetheless is, is great with uh, Jim and Serena and what they do. You're a Niners fan. That is a tall <laughs> task these days. How much stock did you put into Lance's performance, given the crummy weather conditions and the environment that the Niners were in in Chicago? I think some, you know, some of the blame can go on the weather, but I think also some of it's on Trey too. I mean, he had a couple overthrows, you know, that one of them could have gone for a touchdown early on to the tight end. Um, then he had, he had a couple, couple missed throws in the fourth quarter, including that interception um, that was by Eddie Jackson. So some throws could have been better, um, but he, we also saw him make some really nice throws. Brandon Ayuk had a, a nice catch. And then there was one to Juwan Jennings too, over on the sideline. Um, and Trey Lance got a lot done with his feet, right? That's something we haven't seen in the past with Jimmy G. And so, you know, I keep telling people, 49er fans, uh, Trey Lance, fantasy fantasy managers, if you have him, 
it's going to be, it's going to be a growing pains type of season. Like there's going to be moments where in, like in game one, where he looks like, uh, you know, a first year starter. And then there's going to be moments where you're going to be like, yeah, this is, this is why we drafted this guy. And um, he's a quarterback of the future. So I expect him to make his mistakes, but I also expect him to, to progress as the season goes. So buckle up Niner fans. It's going to be a long season, but I think they have a chance to make the playoffs. We saw many reports during preseason camp that Lance's accuracy was very shaky. In practice, he was missing people and had a hard time making connections. Why did San Francisco choose at this point in time to make Lance the full-time starter? Well, you know, there were reports even uh, in the offseason that Trey Lance was almost a starter last year as a rookie because he impressed in camp. And it was often uh, outshining Jimmy G. And, you know, these are these are report, reports coming from 49ers beat writers in the in the area. So the fact that he was almost a starter as a rookie, um, you know, and if not for his injury in the middle of the season, uh, after the couple games he started, there's a chance he, he almost uh, would have remained the starter then, too. You know, and so I think now, um, you know, it's like they they traded so much draft draft capital to move up and get him. And I think. Kyle Shanahan is looking for a new dynamic to the offense that they haven't had in years past, right, with Jimmy, um, which is the ability to throw the deep ball, as we saw some of in the preseason. Um, and they have the weapons to do that now, right, with Danny Gray, Ray Ray McLeod, and then also Trey Lance's, um, again, his ability to run, right, plays breakdown or even just design runs for him. Things like that will will open up the offense. And I think that's why at this point Kyle Shanahan was like, hey, we need to – we need someone that's going to take us to take the next step. And yes, Trey Lance is extremely, you know, inexperienced and he, he is raw, but I think because he has the weapons around him, he has a good coach and he also has a defense to back him up. They're in a position where they can allow him to, to grow over the course of the season and they can win enough games to, to get into the playoffs. You mentioned the Niners have a legitimate shot to make the playoffs. They almost made the Super Bowl a season ago. This is a tough division, though, and Seattle pulled out an upset win in week one. The Cardinals were a great first-half team a season ago. How tall of a task will it be, being behind the eight ball already 0-1, for San Francisco to overcome this division that may as well eat itself? You know, last year, this I think the division was really daunting, but I think this year it's kind of the opposite because – Arizona is kind of like a toss up. They have, they have the talent on paper, but we also just don't know what they're going to be. I mean, once DeAndre Hopkins comes back in week seven, it'll definitely help them out. Um, Kyler Murray got paid. So he's uh, expected to have a big season, right? And then they made acquisitions too, by getting Hollywood Brown um, and all that. So there'll be, to me, they're going to be a 500 to like a slightly above 500 team. The Seahawks, big win yesterday. I got a credit to them. Um, you know, they give, they gave Russell Wilson and the Broncos all they could handle, and they pulled off the dubs. So shout out Geno Smith. Um, they they got it done, but I also expect them to be a below 500 team, as many do, right? I mean, the Magic can't last for 17 or 18 weeks, um, and I think they're going to be at the bottom of the division. And then the Rams, um, Stafford's elbow injury is definitely a concern, I think, and it's going to be something that could uh, could give the Rams trouble, you know, and they'll still be a good team with that defense they have and the weapons they have on offense. Um, 
but I think the division is open. So to me, you know, it's going to come down to probably the Niners and the, and the Rams, if I had to guess with the Arizona at three and then Seattle at four, but this division is really anyone's for the taking. If you ask me, you just finished your first waiver wire article for week two fantasy football without giving away your entire spiel. Who's one great value pickup that fans can look for. One guy who I saw um, surprisingly was available still, and I think it was about like 20% of Yahoo leagues and uh, maybe like 40% of ESPN leagues. Could have been the opposite numbers on that, so don't quote me on that. But James Robinson, uh, running back from the Jaguars, you know, I I have him in in my 14-man league, and I'm absolutely glad I picked him up because the Jaguars don't have a designated started running back. Sometimes it's going to be Robinson who lines up with a, on the first drive, or it could be Travis Etienne. Um, but it looks like they're going to be splitting carries based on how things went in week one. Um, and James Robinson did, did get more touches in the backfield than Travis Etienne did. And he also uh, was able to, to haul in a receiving touchdown as well as one on the ground. So uh, this, this team is going to be, a, it's going to be a committee backfield and James Robinson, you know, before getting hurt last year was having a, a solid sophomore season and his rookie season in 2020, when he came into the scene, he took, took the league uh, by surprise, right? He was a guy who um, many people, I think, picked up in their in their waivers and or maybe drafted super late, and he ended up having a fantastic rookie season. So I expect him to put up sim- similar numbers to what he did um, his first year, and it looks like Doug Peterson is definitely going to be going with a two-running back uh, option all season long. Sounds like you've got a lot of good irons in the fire and some some great research available on your hands during the NFL season. That is great to hear. You're from the Bay Area, San Jose, am I am I correct? San Jose, shout out. <laughs> uh, never been. Um, actually was talking with the 49ers this past offseason. That that's a story for another time. But um, you're also a pretty big basketball guy, if I'm not mistaken. Who's your team out there? This is going to surprise a lot of people because even though I was born and raised in the Bay, I grew up a huge, huge, huge Kobe Bryant fan. As you can see, there's a poster behind me. For those who can't see, I have a big Kobe uh, canvas behind me, and it's a, a photo of him shooting that three over Dwayne Wade where he made that bank bank three at the top of the key. Um, so I grew up a huge Kobe fan and thus became a big Lakers fan. You know, I, I just grew up watching the purple and gold. They were always on TV growing up, just like a lot of uh, kids growing up now are going to see the Warriors on TV, right, a lot. And they're going to become Steph fans and Warrior fans, which, you know, makes sense. So, but for me, it was, uh, it was Kobe and the Lakers. And remember there was a point in time too, where I think, uh, I think it was a season where Kobe was hurt with his Achilles. And I was just like, man, am I, am I a Kobe fan or am I a Lakers fan? And there was a game where Steve Blake, uh, shout out Steve Blake. If you guys real Laker fans, remember when we had Steve Blake on the team as our point guard. Uh, he had a game-winning three over Dwight Howard and the Rockets at the buzzer. And I got so hyped, jump off my couch screaming. And I was like, yeah, I'm definitely a Laker fan. And so that was a moment I knew for sure. And, you know, it's been up and down since, obviously. And it's, it's going to be a interesting, interesting season with the roster they have. Um, my hot take is that Russell Westbrook will not be on the team when the season starts. Oh, no. Oh, yes, please make it happen. Come on, Rob Palenka, I'm waiting. <laughs> That'll be, I think, his fifth team in, in six seasons, if I'm mistaken, if they do get rid of him. It's crazy, right, for a former MVP? You don't see that. 
part of me wonders if because Russell was reliable in terms of minutes he I mean having watched the Thunder for quite many years he filled up the stat sheet pretty well seemed like a good distributor of the ball but did it seem at all like they were not using him the Lakers in the right way last season I think part of that part of it is on the Lakers not using him correctly, but I think it's another part of it is just he just wasn't a good fit for that team. Um, Russell Russell is a great player. You know he won MVP for a reason. He is a great um, great distributor, most athletic point guard in NBA history. You know, and the fit was just never there because we know what type of player LeBron James is. Right, he's a ball dominant guy, um, and if there is another playmaker on the court. He needs to be able to to shoot the ball from the outside because um, spacing is so big with Le- with a LeBron James team. And that's why Kyrie Irving and LeBron worked out right because Kyrie could score, he can knock down the three, but he could also distribute. And so they complemented each other really well. And with Russ's inability to shoot from outside, um, it just it just clustered the paint and the spacing was bad. And you know, on on the other side too, they didn't get a whole lot of. Uh, run together right because LeBron was out and so you can you can argue that the sample size wasn't there and maybe over the course of the season sure it could be different but unless Russ magically shoots 40 percent on threes this year I don't see it happening um you know and another problem with the Russ is his decision making sometimes is very questionable and so while he might get the 12 assists in a game you look over at the more to the right of the box score and there's five six turnovers and a lot of times those turnovers come come in the crucial moments of the game and so uh you know for those reasons as as good as a player russ is i think he can when he's a lead the lead ball uh ball dominant guy ball handler on a different team you can put the right guys around him and they can become a winning team but with a lebron um it just it just doesn't work so they got to find a way to to move him somehow it is uncertain times for lakers fans and, and looking behind you that's not just a photograph that's a whole five panel portrait that's just pretty sweet right that's awesome <laughs> and below that at my first when i looked at it i had to do a double take and i was like is that lamello ball but no it's it, it's it's like a blue jersey number you're you're very close because it is a charlotte jersey um it is actually j cole j cole is my favorite rapper oh. and obviously a, a charlotte guy right so um i saw this a little uh, painting at a a local uh, market um months ago and as soon as i saw it i was like i gotta get this so wow yeah how surprising was it to see him on the cover of that special edition nba 2k game not honestly not surprising uh considering how big of a, a hoop head he is right he he loves basketball he, he played it in college and now he's playing a little bit um uh, professionally in canada so um you know it wasn't surprising at all we know how much of a influence jay cole is on basketball culture and vice versa he raps about basketball all the time so uh, when i saw that it was just it was uh for me it was you know it was it was dope to see because again he's my he's my favorite artist and i love him we talk about following your passion but also the possibility of burnout and spreading yourself too thin and when you have a high profile hip-hop artist and then just pursuing his athletic dreams as well that is so much maintenance. I, I don't understand how the guy has it in him. I just have to respect him. 
Yeah, it's it's incredible, especially to do it at this late of an age, right? Because he's in his, I think, mid mid thirties or so, and to start playing around that time when a lot of guys are starting to starting to retire, right? Uh, but like you said, that just comes from the passion and the drive he has, right, to do something different now. And it's not something you see, right, a lot in the music industry. Usually, you know, uh, artists are sticking to their uh, sticking to their guns, you know, or maybe they'll dive into to the acting game a little bit. Um, or do, you know, switch to just becoming like a producer or starting their own label, things of that nature. But you don't see, you don't see people switching completely into something like into the athletic uh, realm. So I can't imagine how difficult it is to do that. But uh, J. Cole, you see the highlight videos, he's, he's in the gym a lot. He's constantly working on his game. And so, uh, you know, I'm definitely wishing him all the best. I hope I can make an, a crazy career switch like that one day. <laughs> <laughs> what would you do? <laughs> that's a good question. Uh, definitely have a couple of things, uh, you know, I'd like to do. They may not be as exciting as becoming a professional basketball player, but, you know, living here in the Bay, it's the tech hub of the, of the world. And so there's plenty of opportunities to work in like, in, you know, tech companies here, such as a Twitter or a Google. And, you know, um, I've definitely looked into that a little bit. And then I want to, I want to open my own coffee shop one day. Maybe I'm a huge, uh, huge coffee person, love me some espresso, um, you know, and I've gone into that a little bit over the past year or so. So that's something that I would maybe uh, look into one day. Sandeep's espresso. I'm, I'm going to write that down as a possible name. Rolls off the time. It was, it was very basic. It was not very inspired, but I espresso just deep. Right espresso deep. Oh, <laughs> now you're on to something. <laughs> love what J. Cole is doing, pursuing his basketball dreams. And this is not a knock on basketball. However, I feel like that is the only sport where you could pull off something like that consistently. And I thought, again, the branding of J. Cole on the cover of this video game, it's inspirational. It's really neat to see. I don't know how, how that could translate to any other sport. I remember watching spring training games and seeing, you know, Will Ferrell and Billy Crystal suit up for the Yankees and, and the Cubs, um, but that wouldn't sell any merchandise. I just feel like there's that basketball has such a, a finger on the pulse of pop culture that they can pull off these things without a hitch. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's a fair argument. And, you know, it's not like Cole is a, made a jump like straight to the league, right? He's playing at a team for a team in Canada um, and basketball is so universal that, you know, there's so many leagues in, uh, in North America in obviously in Europe, there's a ton of leagues too in Asia. And so if you want to play professional basketball, you can do it um, at, at various levels. And so, you know, seeing, seeing him make that jump, it's a, uh, like you said, it's not something you see often, but like, because it's basketball and, um, it's such a universal sport, right? You can go to the park right now. There's probably, there's probably runs going on and you can just hop in and start playing. And that's pretty much like any day of the week. It's hard to do that with, with a football or, or basketball or, or sorry, with soccer or with baseball, right? Um, and football, you got to play at an elite level baseball. You can't just, even if you played a little bit growing up, you can't just hop into a professional, even if it wasn't, let's say Japan where guys are throwing like a hundred miles per hour, right. On every single pitch. It's, it's extremely hard to do that, but basketball um, because of like the, 
the nature of it and because of like the amount of leagues available, uh, it is definitely more possible and accessible to make that career switch, you know. And as you mentioned, it's a universal game, which is is huge. Express so deep. Three <laughs> words. Now we now we're on to something. You're a big Lakers fan, grew up watching Kobe and Shaq as well. Amazing teams, Phil Jackson. We're roughly a month away from the NBA season. Outside of the Lakers, what is one bold prediction you have for the league? If the Clippers are healthy, they will go to the NBA Finals. Whoa. Yes. And this is coming from a Laker fan, right, who does not want to see the other team in L.A. uh, make that leap. But this team has been knocking on the door for the last couple of years. Um, You know, the year... Kawhi Leonard got hurt in the playoffs. Uh, You know, Paul George carried them to a Western Conference Finals appearance, and they took the Suns to six games, you know, without Kawhi in the lineup. Now, we can get into the what-ifs, and I will quickly say that if Kawhi was in that lineup, there's a good chance they would have made the finals that year, you know, but obviously things didn't work out like that. Last year, Kawhi misses the whole season. Um, Paul George missed a little bit of time, too. But still, that team was kind of pushing for, you know, pushing for the playing game. And I think they fell a few games, a few games short, but they have the depth. And this year they got Kawhi coming back. They got Paul George still. Um, they made acquisitions, right, by getting uh, signing G- John Wall in free agency. Um, and then they also traded for Norman, Norman Powell and Robert Covington last year. Like this team is stacked, not to mention they already have Reggie Jackson. Uh, Marcus Morris, you know, a lot of depth for this roster. And so if they can stay healthy, um, I just think with the talent they have, the coaching, Ty Lu, one of the best coaches in the NBA, they could make the finals and potentially win it too. That would be a godsend for a, a fan base that has been thirsting for that type of glory for a long, long time. Absolutely. Absolutely. It'd be, it would be shocking. Right. And all the, all the memes, all the jokes, you know, they would have to be put to rest temporarily if they were to pull that off. So, you know, uh, I'm definitely not hoping it happens for the sake of, uh, you know, I'm a, I grew up a Lakers fan, but, um, if my prediction ends up being right, then I'll be, it'll be my first one right out of a thousand. (laughs) I love the Paul George memes, in particular, the one yesterday where at the, the Chargers Raiders games, he got booed by both fan bases when they showed him on the Jumbotron. Oh, no, I didn't even catch that. <laughs> I, I saw something on Twitter. I saw a still image. I, I don't know if, if it's real or not. It sounds like something that would happen. And also, when I first got to Tulsa and was covering the Thunder, it was that off season where they traded Westbrook and George. And George was the first to go, I believe. Correct. And it was it was like one in the morning when when it went off and i started getting a bunch of texts like what the heck what the heck um and i texted people's like do i need to come in is this a big thing They're like no like we're fine we're fine but that was crazy <laughs> and then also i don't know if i ever told you this story and it's kind of hazy because it was three years ago but i was at russell westbrook's charity event at kane's ballroom when he got traded and it was mass hysteria um because we were on the scene, thought we were going to talk to Russ, didn't get to talk to Russ. We were like 
stoking out his car in the parking lot that he drove in with and stuff. And it was, it was some high level TMZ type journalism that night, but that was, I think one, one or two months into my time in Tulsa. It was crazy. But so for that reason, I've always kind of given the side eye to, to Paul George and Russell Westbrook because they left me or Sam Presti traded them rather. <laughs> Man, I, yeah, I can get into this so much because Paul George never even, uh, you know, the summer he was a free agent and he decided to re-sign with the Thunder. I was like, bro, come to the Lakers, come to the Lakers. <laughs> there was rumors, right, for like a couple of years that he would want to join the Lakers one day being an LA, uh, LA area native. And he get he gets traded to the Thunder. I think that was a, I think they had maybe lost in the first or second round of the playoffs that year. Um, and then he's a free agent. And this was his chance to finally could have joined the Lakers. And I think LeBron was already on the team by then too. So he would have been, been able to team up with LeBron. And instead he decides to, to re-sign. Fast forward, he gets knocked out by a Dame buzzer beater in his face and then gets traded in the offseason following. Crazy, crazy, uh, crazy NBA offseason and sports in general. Uh, you know how it is. <laughs> Very unceremonious exit uh, for Paul George in the Oklahoma City Thunder. Billy Donovan playoff era. That was that was wild. You mentioned a good point, though, about the the hometown reunion and people wanting to reconnect and thrive in the place they grew up with. I see it a lot because I do royal stuff for for Bally and they go up and they play the White Sox and they have a couple Chicago kids on their their roster and they always rake when they're there. They get like four hits because they're in their hometown. And it it's so crushing to me because Westbrook was a California guy. He wanted to go back home and play for the Lakers and Paul George wanted to go back home as well. And it's crushing to me that they haven't yet found the situations that really work for them. Yeah. You know, uh, Westbrook, I definitely especially feel bad for because he was probably super hyped right the day he got traded um, to the Lakers and was finally going to be able to come home um, and play for his hometown team. But uh, you know, he felt some of the excitement early on and the response from the fans, but a lot of that fans fan response ended up being negative too, right? Because if you're not putting up when you're playing at Staples or, or now Crypto.com Arena, you're going to get booed and fans will let you hear about it. And we all know Laker fans are incredibly ruthless, uh, not only at the arena, but also on social media. And so, you know, I know play, these players say, Oh, I, you know, I stay off social. I don't let any of that noise get to me, but they see, they see the reports, they see the memes, um, all that stuff. Right. And that can take a toll on you. So it sucks that for Russ, um, you know, things have come, come to what they have, uh, you know, but for, for Paul George, he's had a pretty, pretty good run. I'd say so far, right. With the Clippers. I mean, I know things started with a, a letdown in the bubble, but since then, like as I mentioned before, they had a a good playoff run in uh, in 2021, and then last season, um, you know, if not for injuries, who knows? So he still has a chance to to run wrongs and to everyone up, including myself, who's definitely you know clowned on Paul George a little bit before, but he's a hell of a player, and so we'll see what the Clippers can do this year. Crypto.com Arena that still doesn't set well with me. Felt 
felt yeah. very impulsive. But makes me want. <laughs> What'd you say? Makes me want to go to the bank. <laughs> go to the bank. <laughs> um, Sandeep Chandok, senior producer at Bally Sports. You're doing a heck of a job. If there is ever a chance to collaborate with you again, I am down. If that is what you want. Man, I was, uh, you know, I was surprised of, of all people that you reached out to me. So I'm completely honored and thankful uh, to be on here. Thank you so much, Luke. I appreciate it. And you're doing a lot of good stuff at Bally's too. So so keep it up. I'm, I'm definitely down to work together more in the future. Keep tweeting about the gym and I'll keep liking and retweeting you. So thank you so much, man. Appreciate it. <laughs> all right, Luke. Take care. Hello, Wyatt Stapp. How are you? It's been a couple of years. <laughs> that is so great to hear your voice. So good to see you. I'm glad you have finally found a professional team in the Schaumburg Boomers of the Frontier League. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. You look a lot different. You look like there's been four or five years of hard-fought, worn down experience on the baseball diamond just just in your face you look you look older in a good way i don't i don't mean that in a derogatory way yeah yeah it's amazing what five years of college baseball will do to you i was really happy when you reached out to me because there's something about reconnecting with people from your past that, that you can just put them in a specific niche corner of your life. And for me, I remember that night to a T Tennessee mm -hmm. baseball opening night, 2018. I was the only one working sports for WBIR uh, channel 10 in Knoxville, Tennessee. And the assignment was don't cover the game, but find something interesting. And it, it was like, we got to find, you know, kid making his debut, parents family in the crowd and Wyatt Stapp was that guy young infielder out of Texas you know bright-eyed and bushy-tailed coming into to Rocky Top and I don't remember how the story turned out but I remember meeting your parents I thought they were super cool and I just thought it was super cool to to have you back on and, and see how you've been yeah thanks for having me I saw you did a uh... Northwestern's recap the other day. Now, are you up at the area? So, kind of is the answer. Um, I covered my first Northwestern game uh, this past Saturday, and when we were texting back and forth, I thought, God, if I could just get to Wyatt, like, somewhere because we're, we're, we're both in the Chicagoland area, I was like, dang it, like, this would be just perfect. Get it yeah. on camera. We can, like, because we're trying to pivot to video here. This is not going to be because I look like I... Yeah, I, I just we're not doing this, but we've got a, like a video intro. We've got a theme. The pieces are in place to make this happen. Mm -hmm. However, there was just so much going on in Chicago that weekend. I got in Thursday and it was a complete blur and I was going 100 um, percent the day I got there. And then I had to work Sunday for, for Bally sports, which is my, my side job. I do a lot of social media management for them. And so, and also there was a monsoon on Saturday or on Sunday rather, which was insane. And I, I should have mentioned that I was talking to one of my coworkers uh, about the Chicago bears game. 
they, they, my friend from college who I was staying with, Trace, was like, do you think the game's going to get rained out? And I was like, no, <laughs> not, not unless it's uh, just a, a bucket full of lightning. But no, you play for the Schaumburg Boomers in the Frontier League. And I know that that league has shuffled teams quite a bit, but there's a huge Chicago-based presence in that league. And yeah. you are currently playing in the championship series wednesday you guys play the quebec capitals in the frontier league championship series yeah we start our series tomorrow and then we play same time thursday and friday we're gonna fly to quebec and play them saturday sunday monday and it's best three out of five that is incredible so you're guaranteed to have a game in canada yeah we'll play for sure saturday and then all depending if necessary sunday and monday my goodness how are you adjusting to professional baseball? Uh, I've adjusted really well because my teammates are super nice and they've kind of helped me. And then the coach is obviously uh, the skipper's super nice as well. And then the hitting coach um, and then our first base coach, they've all been super supportive because it's my, like you said, it's my first gig out of college. So they kind of understand that I don't really know a lot. They've been super helpful with all that. So it's been super good. I got a good group of guys around me. What was the first obstacle or learning curve that you had to overcome? Um, I don't know. That's a good one. Probably playing six out of seven days of the week is different because you get Mondays off. And then we had a 13-game stretch where we didn't have a Monday off because they had a rain, rain out. So we played 13 straight, and I played seven straight of those. So that's just kind of like something you don't do in college. You play three or four games a week. You play your midweek, and that's about it. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how current the Frontier League website is, and mm-hmm. I don't know how much they've factored in postseason. They probably haven't, but it said sample size of 14 games. You are hitting mm-hmm. 333. That is so great. I want to pick back up in 2018. You made your debut in college with the University of Tennessee, and the hit tool was always there. That was head coach Tony Vitello's first season. Mm-hmm. And those first couple of years were just about amassing talent and bringing people in and, and setting the culture and changing the culture because the program had not been doing great under previous leadership for, for several years. How was your experience that year at Tennessee? Uh, I enjoyed it. I mean, getting to know you, getting to know all the coaches, it was good. I just think whenever I'd gotten hurt against Ole Miss, I think, um, yeah, I don't know. I think the season kind of just changed for me. Like I was playing really up, really well up till then. And then once I got hurt, I thought it was uh, probably time for me to leave. I think there was just kind of a flip. Um, it was like there was two different seasons. The first season was great, and then I got hurt, and I came back, and it wasn't so great. I didn't play so well. I mean, I missed a month. And then after that happened, I thought it was best I kind of transfer somewhere close to family. Mm-hmm. What about that injury pushed you in the direction to, to leave? Um, what do you mean by that? What, was it – you didn't feel you could you could play up to your best? Was it uh, just a change in dynamic in the clubhouse? What was it? Um, I think whenever I came back, I played right away after, like, not practicing at all. I just was straight in the lineup, which, I mean, that's how I want. I want to be out there helping. But I didn't play very well when I came back because I missed a month. I couldn't hit BP, couldn't hit off the tee. I was just rehabbing my knee every day. 
And I think I didn't play very well when I came back, which stats will show you. I played very poorly. So then once I didn't play very well, it wasn't like the same as playing every day and helping the team win and being, hitting second in the order. So it was just one of those things where like I didn't play super great at the end of the year. And then I had a end of the year talk with Vitello and then I just thought after talking to him, I'm like, well, maybe I should see if someone else wants me. And then I kind of fell in love with ten or Cincinnati. And I'm like, all right, I think I'm going to move on there. But he wanted me back, but I just thought it was best for me to move on. Mm-hmm. How was your relationship with Coach Vitello that first season? Uh, it was really good. I mean, I separated. I, we've parted ways, and I haven't spoke to him since. But he was nice on the way out. It was no hard feelings. It was just – I think what was best for both of us if I moved on. Sure. And how much have you paid attention to the success that program has had and the the heights that he's taken them to since you moved on to the University of Cincinnati? Yeah, I've followed them along. I mean, we have another player who left named Paul Comistek, who was there the year after me. So me and him like the – I mean, if you've played somewhere, you're always going to kind of follow him a little. I feel the same way. I still have to look at Tennessee football scores. I have to watch the highlights. And recently I, w- I was in Tulsa, Oklahoma, so I have to do that for OU and Oklahoma State. And these days it kind of feels like like five of my exes are laughing at me in a group text when I look at the AP Top 25 because I'm just like, I'm covering Northwestern, which is great. And there's like, there's OU, there's OSU, there's Tennessee, there's Arkansas, and then like Miami's in there. And I'm like, God, there's like five teams that I yeah yeah it, it sucks but i mean not really i mean it, it, it's fun life is cyclical it's fine yeah. you move on to the university of cincinnati go bearcats love that campus yeah a lot of friends in cincinnati you go on to have a successful career ops of 728 five career home runs career best 305 average in your senior season what was your main takeaway from your time at UC? How'd you get better? Um, I think I just got better every day. I mean, we did a lot of practicing. I mean, if I'm in college for five years, I'd hope I get a little better. So you got to think of all the fall practices we do and then spring practices when you're only playing a couple games a week, you're practicing every day, if not. So I would just, I'd do that stuff. And then I had really good teammates my first year when we went to our reach and all that helped me. Um, they helped me grow a lot mentally too for like, stuff to look at. I had a good hitting coach there. Um, so a good head coach. So they all helped me a lot, especially in stuff that like I was still young. I came over as a sophomore. So there was a lot of things I didn't know about college baseball, whether it was what to look for in certain counts or scouting reports and stuff like that, just to look, look at the game a different way than I had. Certainly. And after college, you wanted to move on and and go in the MLB draft. Sadly, that didn't happen. How did you cope with draft weekend passing by and shifting your attention to how am I going to get a job in professional baseball? Yeah, I always thought if you look back at every year, my first year I got hurt, but before I got hurt, I had really good numbers. I was hitting two hole for us. My sophomore year, I was in the four hole. I played really well that year. And then my junior year, I was hitting – that was actually my best year I'd had, and I got hit in the hand. So I missed a month with that. And I came back kind of like Tennessee, not so well. But if you look at all my numbers every year, I always knew I could play, and I put up good numbers. So I figured 
well, let's see what's out there. And then this team happened to want me, and then it was kind of just worked out. They needed someone, and, I mean, it's been a perfect fit. We're heading to the championship now. You're off to an auspicious start in your professional baseball career, and I'm happy for you. What is the dream? Uh, I mean, I'd like to – I like to obviously get to the MLB. I think that's everybody's dream if you're playing. But, I mean, hopefully I can get picked up by an organization sooner than later and then work my way up. It seems like these days the Frontier League has the tools in place to market their talent to Major League Baseball organizations and get them playing at a higher level. It didn't always appear that way um because i in my first internship actually this is eight years ago now actually covered the frontier league um when they had a team down in normal illinois the normal corn belters they are no longer part of the league i had to look that up before i got on this call because i was about to hit you with so much of oh my god the corn crib they like threw your ears of corn like into the crowd there were like 50 people there it was this really weird artificial turf surface that was miscolored um it was incredible. It was the, the best environment I've ever been to. And we used to have one um, here outside of St. Louis as well. Uh, well, you, we do have the Grizzlies on the other side of the river, but in West uh, West uh, County, St. Charles, St. Louis, we used to have a team as well. No longer exists. Um, but these days, it seems like you have a pathway to the major leagues. The question now is how much do you have to improve your game to get to that next level? Yeah. Yeah. And I think um, that's something that I'm going to work on this off season in the next week after our championship ends, I'm going to go back home to Texas and then I'm going to visit some friends in Cincinnati and work out with them and try to improve on my game. How much of the feedback you got deals with power? Um, yeah, I mean, that's a big thing. I feel like a lot of teams are looking for guys who can hit a bunch of home runs. So that's something I'm definitely going to focus on. I think that's my biggest thing I can improve hitting wise is definitely my power numbers. It's easier said than done. Power is either have it or you don't. What can you do to put yourself in that position where you are getting more extra base hits? Um, so my senior year, I played the whole year with mono. So that's why my home run numbers and doubles and triples were down compared to what I had done my sophomore and junior year. So I was down 25 pounds the whole season. So I was playing at 175. So now I'm back up to 200. I've added the weight back. I've worked out a lot this off season between Cincinnati and the two months before I came here. So I think I'm going to continue to do that and then work with some pro guys in the off season at a facility back home and then see what they do. Like Trevor story works out there. So I think I'm going to go work out there, see what I can learn from them because they're obviously really good players playing at a high level and then see what they kind of do for that stuff. With all due respect, it seems like your college career had a lot of rough patches where it just seems like you couldn't catch a break either at Tennessee with the knee and then your hand and uh, mono. That's just, and I mean, I mean the COVID season as well cut short for everyone is just that that really is a bummer, but I'm, I'm glad you're persevering. How much of a connection do you have with Trevor Story? Uh, I don't know him very well, but <clears throat> my guy I used to hit with when I was growing up, he's really good friends with him. So it's kind of like a family friend almost. So I haven't met him yet, but like he's done, I've seen him in a restaurant. 
he likes to eat in the same town that I'm from because it's a pretty good area to eat. So I've seen him before in town, and then I've never met him personally, but I just know he works out at this area, so I might run into him in the off season. Keller, Texas, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah, that's right. That's awesome. What other professional players work out around that area that you can rub shoulders with this offseason? Uh, Patrick Mahomes actually goes there. That's their big guy. Yeah, because he's from that area too. So he works out there. That's kind of like their big guy they promote. And then the baseball guys, I know Trevor Story goes there, and then I think some minor leaguers. So I don't know. I guess we'll see whenever I get there. I went there last summer, but it was only for like a month just because then I had to go back to school after uh, college in this summer college baseball. So then I think this time I'll get to go down there for a couple of months and then maybe meet some more guys. Are you a big Mahomes fan? Uh, I'm a Burrow fan. Oh, okay. Well, that makes sense. So I don't necessarily dislike him, but whenever we play him, I can't root for him. Mm. That's rough. What do you make of the Bengals this year? Well, I think he had a bad game yesterday, but I hope we do what we did last year. I hope we make a playoff push and get lucky. The same time I was covering you at UT, um, T. Higgins was, well, he may have graduated. He may have been at Clemson at that point, but he was from outside of Knoxville in uh, Oak Ridge, played football, um, great receiver, and played basketball as well. And just from my exposure, because T got hurt a little bit in high school, uh, I thought that he would have made a better basketball player, as good a basketball player as he did a football player. But he is he is now a Cincinnati Bengal and yeah. tearing it up there and uh, just a great kid with a good head on his shoulders. I say kid, but uh, just a, a great man who's going to do good stuff. You guys ever cross paths at all? I have not, but I think that Paul Comistack, who played right field for us last couple of years, I think he went and watched him play in high school because he's from that Farragut area, hmm. which you might yeah, so I think he said he played him or he watched him play, something like that. And it was actually basketball that he watched him play. There was one night at an Oak Ridge basketball game. This was the year they were supposed to win state. They were stacked, and T was one of the leaders on that team. There was one night that Clemson coach Dabo Sweeney actually visited him, and he went to the basketball game. And when he walked through those doors at the Oak Ridge gymnasium, it was as if Jesus himself – had appeared before the crowd because it was a swarm. Everyone left their seats and like wanted to encircle and get a piece of, of Dabo. And this was the height of Clemson. I think they had just won the national championship. They were larger than life. And it was just a huge recruiting win. And just, uh, just Dabo putting a flag in the ground that, Knoxville was Clemson territory and it made people like it made Oak Ridge people happy that T was happy and every other Tennessee fan in the area just had their head in their hands and they were livid and it was it was incredible I had a picture with Dabo it was it has been lost but um that was one of the coolest nights who's that uh some guy by the campfire said go Tigers (laughs) go Tigers (laughs) that's great why what else am I missing? I don't know. I think you got it all. Now, do you still stay in contact with T? Because I, I saw he just got a concussion. So I didn't know if you he got concussed this weekend. Let me check my phone. I'm usually pretty good about leaving people alone 
Yeah, I was just curious, out of curiosity. It's been a minute. My claim to fame was, because he was in high school and we covered him for a couple of years, so I always... Sorry, Twitter. Um, I would always troll him from the WBIR sports account because 16-year-old kid's going to be like, God, like I need a girlfriend and, and put it on Twitter. And I would just quote tweet him from the WBIR account just be like, yeah, same man. <laughs> and just roast him. It was... It was awesome. Um, yeah. But he was, I mean, that was, he was, he was a good kid. Did a lot of stuff just with like, there was one child with cancer that he brought to games and, and hung out with. His mom was super welcoming and warm. And it was, uh, it was a good dynamic. Oak Ridge, Tennessee is, uh, it's a great town. And I wish I had uh, spent more time there. Yeah. What would you like people to know about you, White Stapp? You might have stumped me on that one. You're making your first impression to the entire world. Don't sweat it. Um, maybe the best thing about yourself. I don't know. I never try to talk about myself. So I have no idea. He's a humble man. We'll go with it. Now, now are you going to be up in this area anymore for Northwestern games? I believe so. Okay. I. Uh, that is the plan. I'm working with Rivals, their website that covers Northwestern. They were gracious to have me up to do some multimedia stuff for last week's game against Duke, which, yeah. And so I'll be up there this this coming weekend for SIU. And then I'll take a week off, and then I'm supposed to go to Penn State for their first road conference game, so to speak, not counting – Dublin yeah but um yeah I'm, I'm gonna take this as far as I can I've got a couple irons in the fire okay doing stuff with Bally sports um on the digital front and we'll see um there's these days it's it's good to have a lot of capital like identity capital which I do and be flexible and be mobile so I am all of those things and we will see because just as you have a dream and I want you to put your chips in to make that happen. I also have a dream and we'll cross that bridge when we get there. Well, what's your, what's your dream then? What's the final ending for you? Oh, you're interviewing me now. Yeah. If it's all said and done, how does this end for you? Well, ideally I would like to be an on-air talent for either regional sports network or Mm -hmm. as far as I can go. Okay. Why? I took a job in Chicago on weekends, for example, because the LinkedIn resume curator in me says, oh, this is a guy who did on-air multimedia work in the third largest city in America covering Big Ten football. Yeah, Not everyone else can make that claim. I like to travel a lot. I did it in Tulsa when I traveled with OU, and it was one of the most fulfilling experiences of my life. I think I superseded that when I covered the NFL combine this past March, that was Mm -hmm. the greatest experience in my pro career and working in local news. If you work in an NFL market, it's great. And you're a part of it. If you don't work in an NFL market or you're kind of on the exterior and then the mid-sized cities, um, you don't know half of, you know, what comes with really good sports coverage. Yeah. I, 
sadly, you know, never did any NFL and local news. It was just running Dallas Cowboys highlights in Tulsa and Chiefs highlights and actually connecting with um, the backup running back for the Chiefs when they won the Super Bowl, uh, Darwin Thompson. He was from Tulsa. He's with the Seahawks now, I'm pretty sure. And uh, going to a watch party with his youth, like Pee-wee coach and getting sound from him when they won the Super Bowl. That that is like basically what you can do when you're in a mid-sized market covering the NFL. However, my experience in Indianapolis this past March uh, was incredible because I was rubbing shoulders outside of work hours with multiple NFL coaches, scouts, GMs, um, agents, and doing something that I never thought in a million years I could do. And once you leave that and you come back to St. Louis where I'm at right now, or um, just back to your day to day, nine to five, it's um, you're, you're wondering how you can get back to that. And um, I think that I want to take this as far as I can go, whether it's, you know, team reporter. I was up for an NFL uh, team reporter job for a, a certain team this past spring. I didn't get it sadly, but I was a finalist for it. And I, would have been a career changing, career defining thing. Yeah, that's life. These opportunities come up. I, I mean, there's if if I told you the amount of times that I either didn't get a response back, or I got ghosted, or I you know missed what I thought was the career maker, um, we'd be having a l- much longer Zoom call, a much longer Zoom call. And I'm sure you can feel the same way because th- I mean that's that's 30 MLB teams that you know went 40 rounds and were like, you know what, no. Yeah, maybe they'll change their mind. I know, I know it is an incredible uphill battle for you. Yeah, and it's an incredible uphill battle for me too because I mean I'm 28 years old. Um, and then when I hit 30, and this forehead line starts to get even more, you know, crooked and gross, it's gonna be something else entirely. It, yeah. It's um, it, it is it is an underdog story. So I'm doing everything I can. You're doing everything you can, you can, Uh, but to answer your question, regional network, national, large city, ideally I'd like to make it here in St. Louis, but we'll see. Maybe the Cardinals will come calling. You know what, Wyatt? We'll see. (laughs) I I'm going to plead the fifth on that. Wednesday, you excited? Uh, I'm excited. I think we'll get a good crowd, especially it being the championship series and the last two home games. So it'll be exciting. All right. Go Schaumburg Boomers. Wyatt Staff, thank you so much for joining the show. There you go. Thank you for having me. You take care. And just to pad the runtime, why don't I share with you the final thoughts segment I did with Louis Vacare, the managing editor and publisher of Wildcat Report. Northwestern fell to Duke 31-23 on Saturday. After fumbling the ball in the end zone with a chance to potentially tie the game late in the fourth quarter, and this after spotting the Blue Devils 21 points. It was a roller coaster of a first couple weeks for the Wildcats. They were 10 point dogs to Northwestern in Dublin. They won that game, and then they were 10 point favorites over Duke and were not up to the challenge. 
Northwestern falls to Duke 31-23. I'm at Ryan Field with Louis Vacare, the managing editor and publisher of Wildcat Report. Louis, what were your main takeaways from this game? Well, this was a tough loss for Northwestern today, obviously, if all the excitement of that game opening or season opening win over Nebraska a couple weeks ago in Dublin, and they come out here tonight. You know, on Monday, Pat Pichirel talked about the number one thing he wanted to work on was fast starts, that his team were getting off to a slow start, and that's exactly what they did today. They got behind 21-0 early, and um, that proved to be, you know, the difference. They got it down to within five points a couple times but could never give it up, get over the hump. For as much as we talk about the slow starts and the defense spotting the Blue Devils 21 points, there were many missed opportunities for Northwestern to get on the board early. Adam Stage misses a field goal on the second drive of the game. Holinsky throws a pick in the fourth quarter. The two-point conversion doesn't go their way. Evan Hull in the fumble through the end zone. That's, the, anyway, you look at it, 15 to 19 points for the offense, like you said, that was very efficient and put up a 500-yard-plus day. What could Northwestern do in the next week to really correct the mistakes that were made today? Yeah, I mean, they, they were up and down again today. You know, I think, you know, Ryan Holinsky got up there and hit and said, you know, he threw the ball 60 times today, had 435 yards, a couple touchdowns, but he wants that interception back. You know, he said he threw it off his back foot across his body like Cardinal sins for a quarterback. Um, they got inside the red zone. You know, you mentioned the, the field goal. And then, you know, the, the dagger, of course, was with 12 seconds left. Evan Hull fumbled the ball right down there after what a sensational day he had to uh, fumble the ball into the end zone for a touchback and, uh, you know, lose the, a chance to win the game late. So it was, uh, yeah, the offense, I thought they put up a lot of yards, a lot of points, but they didn't finish drives and they didn't, you know, get the points they needed to win, basically. The most receiving yards, Evan Hull, by a running back since uh, 1980, you mentioned, which is very impressive. Yeah. How much wear and tear did you notice on Holinsky in that second half, throwing, as you mentioned, 60 pass attempts? Yeah, I don't think that was by design, right? I mean, they got down 21 nothing early. As Fitz said, you get down three scores, you got to throw the ball. So that's that's what they were doing, and it was working for them. You know, they, they didn't get much going offensively on the ground. Evan Hull, you know, just sensational day. 14 catches, I think it was 235 yards, I think it was, and a touchdown. He, he was unbelievable, and, you know, to have his – day end the way it did you know that was pretty tough and I, I asked him about that after the game right the, that fumble and the emotional roller coaster he went through and he said you know first it was disbelief he couldn't believe he fumbled the ball he had a chance to win or, or tie it to send it to overtime and uh, so he was in disbelief but he, he said he's really thankful for his teammates that picked him up and you know he's a man of faith and he, he believes you know he trusts in God and those kinds of things and that's what kind of got him through you know so I, re I really felt for him today, though. That was, that was a tough way to end a great day. We saw some highlights from the defense. Garnett Hollis with the interception off the guy's helmet in the end zone right over here. And yet, the slow starts are, are plaguing this team. And I've never seen a team accomplish their goals historically when they start sluggish and lethargic. What, in your opinion, is causing this to put themselves in a hole? I don't think Fitz can answer that question right now. You know, he says it's something that they work on every day. They drill it every day. Garnett Hollis talked about how they got to do things collectively. That, you know, it's something that they are focused on. For whatever reason, it's just not coming. It's not working, especially defensively today, right? They first three times Duke went right down the field, got up 21 nothing. I think it was 27, 33 seconds into the second quarter. You know, that's an awfully big hole to dig yourself out of. And, and they did put up 500 yards of offense, but it just uh, wasn't enough. They couldn't get out of that hole. One other thing you mentioned, Louie, was the offense turning over the ball in their final two drives. Holinsky 
has the turnover bug, throws a pick near Northwestern zone 34, and then Evan Hall fumbles it through the end zone. What contributed to such a late collapse for a team that was driving and taking advantage of the time of possession and going rather efficiently down the field? Yeah, I mean, that's exactly what they were talking about in the post game. that, um, you know, they had their opportunities late. Holinsky talked a lot about, you know, he just wants that last throw back. And he thought he lost the game, and, you know, Fitz picked him up on the sideline and said, hey, we're going to get the ball back, and that's exactly what happened. And they go down the field, and then to have that happen at the goal line, that's just uh, devastating. You know, that's one of those things I think that's going to stick with this team. You know, they're going to have a bad taste in their mouth all week. And they want, they want to get rid of that, and I think the best way to do that is just to go out and post a decisive win over Southern Illinois on Saturday. The Wildcats host FCS Southern Illinois next week. Louie, what do you want to see out of NU? Well, I think a little more consistency offensively, right? I, I'd like to see that. What I thought they were going to do today is just pound the ball against uh, Duke. You know, it's they ran the ball so well against Nebraska, a big physical front. I thought they would be able to control the clock. Instead, they got behind. They had to throw the ball. It really wasn't the game they wanted to have. So I think that they should get back to, to running the football a little bit more, play action, passing, and things like that. And really, you know, build confidence, get a dominant taking care of business kind of win against the FCS opponent and get back on the right track. Louis Vacare, thank you so much for joining. We'll be here next week when Northwestern hosts Southern Illinois. Before we go, my condolences to terminated Nebraska head football coach Scott Frost. Good night, sweet prince.